So um, thank you, Dan, for stepping in and, and reading all of the readings this morning. And I loved hearing these particular readings in your beautiful, deep voice. And I say that because you may or may not have noticed that our readings last week and this week are a little bit different. The language is a little bit different. And that's because for the season of Lent, we're using something called the Women's Lectionary. It was written by a woman named Wilda Gaffney, and she is an Episcopal priest and a um, student of, of scripture. I believe she's a professor somewhere. And she's done these four different lectionaries, three of which map to the lectionaries that we use, one that is more broad. Um, and they use different language, sometimes different scriptures. And I know some of you will hate it. And some of you will love it. Some of you might not have noticed at all unless I'd mentioned it. Um, and that's okay. It's all okay. What I like about the change in language and even the change in scripture from time to time is it helps me to see everything a little bit differently, right? So perhaps I'm used to the certain cadence and the language of a passage, and suddenly I'm reading it, and something, there's a little disconnect there. And that's good. I think it's helpful um, for us to get a little bit uncomfortable from time to time and to look and think about Scripture and the story in a different way. When I first looked at the readings for this week, and started meditating on them and thinking about sort of immersing myself in them, preparing what I wanted to say. Um, there was a there was a, a through line through the three the four scriptures from Genesis to the Psalm to the Epistle and to the Gospel. That was quite profound. It almost felt like it was a single story to me, and that's not always the case, right? And it's a story about creation and our role in it, our limitations and our gifts as human beings, the consequences for our actions or our inactions and our responsibility in the world, and above all, above all, the glorious gift we have been given by God from creation until today, this moment here and now, living always in God's glory. And Lent is a great time to explore some of those ideas. So I'm going to start. I'm going to go through all four of them. Don't worry. We won't be here more than an hour. I mean, I won't speak for more than an hour. We might. Anyway. <laughs> I'm going to start with Genesis. And I'm going to spend most of my time here on Genesis because it is foundational, right? A foundational story. I want you to try to put aside all of the interpretations that we've grown up with. The serpent is Satan, right? Without question. The story is about temptation and Eve's fall from grace. The introduction of evil and sin into the world. That curses were brought down upon Eve and Adam by God for their disobedience. And that this fall marks the break in the relationship between God and God's people. Right? That's what we think of when we read this passage. Right? So I, wanna, I want you to put all of that aside for a little bit. Open your minds to a different perspective and let me share with you um, that new perspective. The story says that the serpent 
had more naked intelligence than any other animal of the field. Nowhere does it actually say that the serpent is Satan. That's an interpretation that we've brought to the text, mostly coming from texts that followed on this text. For, for, for instance, in Ezekiel, he actually says the serpent was in Eden. There are other texts like Job, Isaiah, and Revelation that talk about a snake-like creature that, was, that is Satan, right? So there's a lot of things that lead us down that path. So we assume that the snake was Satan, bent on evil, working to separate humanity from God. Perhaps rather than Satan, the serpent is simply the most intelligent creature in the garden. And perhaps the serpent has some knowledge or wisdom that he is sharing with Eve, encouraging her to eat the fruit, not to break with God, but simply to open her mind to the possibilities of the world beyond the confines of Eden. We don't really know what Adam and Eve's life was like in paradise. From God's warning to Adam and Eve that they would die if they ate of the fruit, we can assume they were probably immortal. And we think the idea of living in paradise forever sounds wonderful, don't we? Or do we? Imagine Eve's life in Eden, alone with Adam, living day after day after day after day. No pain, no conflict, no hunger, but also no surprises, no challenges, no growth. I imagine that Eve wanted more. God gave humanity curiosity and, and a desire for independence and excitement, right? God created boundaries in the garden knowing what humanity would do in response to those boundaries, knowing that Eve would test them, bend them, break them. It's human nature. God knew Adam and Eve intimately, so I imagine Eve's actions would not have come as a surprise to God. Perhaps her actions, in fact, were part of God's plan. Perhaps Eve, Eve wasn't a victim of the serpent at all, but was a courageous, curious woman being ta taking charge of her own life. Last year, for one of our women's dinners, I did a talk on, I'm looking some of you were there, a talk on Eve, and I read this poem, and I just love it. It's short. It's called Autobiography of Eve by a woman named Ansel Elkins. This first line oh, makes me laugh, but <clears throat> wearing nothing but snakeskin boots, I blazed a footpath, the first radical road out of that old kingdom toward a new unknown. When I came to those great flaming gates of burning gold, I stood alone in terror at the threshold between paradise and earth. There I heard a mysterious echo, my own voice singing to me from across the forbidden side. I shook awake, at once alive in a blaze of green fire. Let it be known, I did not fall from grace. I leapt to freedom. It's a very different perspective. 
Eve didn't eat the forbidden fruit by accident. Did Eve disobey God's command? Absolutely. And she and Adam were afraid how God would respond, what punishment God would inflict upon them, what the repercussions would be. We believe that they were cursed by God, but were they? The story tells us that God cursed the snake, making him slither around on his belly for all eternity and be in conflict with humanity, right? God cursed the earth, making it hard to toil and full of thistles and thorns. But God does not use the term curse when he talks about Eve or Adam. To the woman, God said, I will make your pangs in childbirth exceedingly great. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man, God said, you shall toil to eat all the days of your life. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Curse or blessing? A break with God or an extension of the connection and partnership, our co-creation with God. Yes, it is through the pain of childbirth that women bring forth life, the most beautiful, meaningful, holy role that I have ever had in this life. And it is my desire for my husband, not just physical desire, but my desire for him to be fulfilled in this life, to be happy, that has helped me to grow into a better person less self-absorbed, more generous. In fact, it is through my children and my husband that I know a depth of feeling and connection and holiness that I didn't know was possible. We find that in friendships and family in so many different ways. God didn't curse us. God opened our hearts in unimaginable ways. And yes, God cursed the earth so that Adam would have to toil to survive. Good, honest, hard work, giving him purpose and focus and meaning in his life. And yes, we are dust, to dust we shall return. We are mortal, yet our very mortality gives value to our lives. This is an essential message of Lent. As Travis told us on Ash Wednesday, for any of you who heard his sermon, we all croak. You'll have to ask him about that later at coffee hour. We all croak, which reminds us to live boldly and beautifully and fully. God drove the man and the woman out of the garden, out of paradise into the earth, where they, were, they still experience all the beauty, the glory of God's creation. Not paradise, but a full and rich and meaningful and creative and joyous and heartbreaking and challenging life. Given the choice of living with one person in paradise every day for eternity or experiencing the richness of life that we have been gifted with joys and sorrows, life and death, what would you choose? I think the break with God came not in the eating of the fruit. That wasn't a surprise to God at all. But the break came in the choices humanity has made with the gift of that freedom that we have been given, starting with Cain and Abel and digressing from there, 
We broke God's heart not when we ate the fruit, but when we disrespected creation and one another. The story of the garden is one of curiosity, hopefulness, freedom, love, and a deep connection to the creator and creation. So Eve says that God told them that if they eat the forbidden fruit, they will die. But God didn't tell them that before they die, they will live. That's chapter 1, Genesis. Chapter 2 is the psalm, a beautiful poem of thanksgiving from humanity to God for the extraordinary gift of creation. For you have made me glad, wellspring of life, by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, womb of creation. Your designs are so very profound. A righteous woman or man flourishes like a palm tree and grows like a cedar in Lebanon. An ode to creation and the joy that we can experience because Eve had the guts to seek out her own freedom. The unfettered praise of the psalm celebrates all of creation on the other side of the garden wall. Eve's curiosity, our curiosity, neither dooms nor damns us. We inhabit the world of a good and loving God, and God's glory is all around us. And we flourish and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. We were cast out of the garden, but the world we were thrust into is glorious and profound. Chapter 3 is the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. And it reminds us that God's gift didn't stop at creation. And God's presence in our lives didn't stop at the gates of paradise. God is with us throughout. God's abundant love manifests in and through Jesus. It is a beautiful, glorious, heartbreaking life. It says in our reading today, God might show in the ages to come the abundant riches of God's grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by, the, by grace you have you all been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, a beautiful gift, a beautiful, heartbreaking life, God's greatest gift to humanity. And God never abandons us. God is always with us every step of the way, with every mistake we make, with every hardship we endure, with every joy we experience. God is with us. Chapter 4, the gospel. The gospel offers us words of wisdom to govern our lives by. We live in an imperfect world, and we are imperfect people. So we use our, the reason and intuition and judgment that God gave us to determine friend from foe, right from wrong. The gospel tells us to know a wolf, a serpent, a person, a love, a theology, an ideology, by its fruits. We can't make assumptions about who people are and what their intentions are simply from the outside, from appearances, from stereotypes. Rather than focus on outward appearances, examine the fruits of their lives. Who we are and how we are in the world, what we bring to the world is what matters. Is it good, bountiful, nutritious, corrupt, rotten? So back to the serpent. 
Was the serpent a wolf in sheep's clothing? Satan bent on evil? Or simply a very wise creature that understood the vast glory of the world outside the gates of paradise? All that we could experience, how beautifully we could live if we simply took the chance. Were its fruits, fruits beautiful or rotten? Was Eve foolish or brave to listen to the serpent? Was the serpent intentionally leading her astray, or was he offering her a fuller life? I would argue that the fruits of Eve's interaction with the serpent were not rotten, were not evil, but freed us to embrace God's glory, to accept the fullness of God's grace, and to live fully in God's love.